Hey there, Sea Monkeys, it's me, Heathen Murphy, the Nintendo fanboy and Scourge of the Deep, welcoming you to Leftendo, the aquatic voice of the gaming proletariat, reminding you all that the Democratic Party and the liberal media have immeasurably strengthened the fascist narrative with three long years of conspiratorial bullshit that is now dust in the wind, as we on the left all fucking predicted. Every episode of Leftendo, we perform a holy ritual in nihilist navel-gazing so as not to succumb to... Loki's sweet torments in our ear, and this barely pre-Ragnarok epoch. As ever, I'm coming to you from somewhere below the briny, acidic, plasticky, rapidly dying deep where phosphorescent wonders never cease, hopefully, and men fear to tread. This week, episode 17, no evidence of collusion between Nintendo and Microsoft. In this episode, the Nini Direct from last month kicked ass. Trump didn't give Daddy Putin a blowjob, but the liberal media has mastered self-sucking, a Ubisoft explosion, and Blossom Tales is the shit. The amount of consequential news that came out over the last couple weeks is fucking overwhelming, so let's immediately dive into the news from hell! Guess what? The FBY says... No collusion was found between Donald J. Trump and Russia. What a twist. Well, not really a twist, as the left has been screaming about all of Trump's actual crimes, from unconstitutionally maintaining his business ties to caging defenseless brown children for three long, agonizing, soul-destroying years. No one listened. Some people, ostensibly on the left, think this is a petty thing to hammer on about, and they would be what the KGB like to call useful idiots, because the substantive result of this year's long hysteria is the prevailing narrative within the liberal media ultimately strengthening the far-right's narrative about the true nature of America and its elites. It behooves us to not only push back hard on the increasing nervous breakdown the media is currently having, insisting the New York investigation will exonerate them, or even that the whole of the U.S. government is controlled by Russian agents, but to present a clear counter-narrative to the almost overwhelming right-wing one. That narrative is simply this. Donald Trump is a racist buffoon with a brain smoother than Nutella. If there was any Russian involvement in the 2016 election, there is no way that Trump could be conscious of it, and what matters is not rehashing why sweet, sweet, dear mommy Hillary lost, but the actual crimes he has committed since. The real horror of the Trump administration is not his constant breaking of the liberals' beloved norms, or his hyperbolic ignorant statements, but the far-right cabinet he appointed, which is actively stripping the EPA's power, killing innocent people all over the world, and instituting medieval-type torture against defenseless immigrants. Human beings just trying to better their lives by escaping nightmare worlds U.S. foreign policy in South America directly helped create. Put plainly, the liberal media and Democrat Party failed. failed. And it is heartening to see that the likes of Rachel Maddow and the other Russia Annan personalities' ratings have tanked. I pray that they get relegated to history amongst the John Birch Society and George Wallace. We must not let them forget this as we allowed them to forget their Iraq bloodlust. With the WNDs are totes real, my dudes, crime against humanity. In summation, eat shit and but, moving on to gaming news, lest their xenophobic brainworm infect us all, let's get into a new segment in the news from hell I like to call Triple Apocalypse. 
Since the last episode of Leftendo, Activision Blizzard has announced even more layoffs, around 100, and not to be outdone by their competition, EA has joined the bandwagon by laying off 350 people, or 4% of their workforce, to quote, restructure and address our challenges. Through all this, AAA publishers still set record profits yearly, so maybe it's a problem with the very structure of capitalism in which you must create limitless growth or else you're a failure, regardless of ever-increasing profits, or maybe I'm just a communist. Why not both? And since I am a communist, let me say yet again to all the workers and AAA games publishers, unionize or you're fucked. There really is no other way. Speaking of EA's hard times, though, it appears Disney has been quietly hiring devs, coders, etc. to stage an apparent refoundation of Lucasfilm Games. Quoting from PC Gamer, With the cancellations and issues caused by Star Wars Battlefront 2's business model, it may be that Disney has decided to be a little bit more hands-on. It could also be interested in remastering or bringing back classic Star Wars games. And there's certainly an appetite for it, judging by the reception of fan-made remakes of Dark Forces, and Star Wars Episode One Racer. Now, later in a statement, Disney claimed they were not going to cancel their contract with EA in regards to mainline Star Wars games. And in the past, Robert Iger, the CEO of Disney, has said, essentially, regardless of what EA makes, it's more profitable for them to just license the IP out than to risk making their own games. Yet, getting just a little conspiratorial and rumor-mongery for you, that's exactly what a company would say when they're in the process of doing just that, now isn't it? Probably nothing of note will come from all this, but one can only hope that the likes of EA and Activision Blizzard eventually fall. They certainly don't make any games worth their continued existence. In other apocalyptic news, Google introduced Stadia, their very own shiny new game streaming service at GDC a few weeks back as part of a devious conspiracy to maintain YouTube's relevance in the streaming landscape. Really, that's probably their ultimate goal with Stadia, to compete against the Twitch juggernaut and keep your eyes and ears glued to YouTube and their yummy, yummy ads. But as anyone who listened to Leftendo Presents Stadia 2045 knows, I have a decidedly more dystopian take. In Peter Fraser's Verso-published book, Four Futures, he lays out his vision for four most likely paths society could take in the coming years. Among them were socialism, barbarism, and communism. But the most likely, considering where we are right now, was a novel idea he called rentism, which Fraser differentiates from traditional capitalism, writing it is based on the extraction of rents rather than the accumulation of capital through commodity production. Now ask yourselves, with the European Union just passing their copyright directive, colloquially known as Article 13 in cyberspace, though the law has changed so that it's actually Article 17 that gives corporations the power of life and death over you, those fucks, and literally everyone from Yes Gaming, but also food, music, movies, even fucking razors going to a subscription-based model that's all hip and cool and so, so convenient. Is not this future already being put into place before our very eyes? Beyond that, though, the one problem literally no one wants to talk about. These streaming services produce a lot of carbon. In fact, unlimited carbon until the world ends. <laughs> this is not to say our current video games landscape is green either. No entertainment in our modern age is green. Gaming is as much an environmental disaster as everything else that runs on coal. Still, my steadfast belief is gaming is increasingly the main mode of entertainment and good for self-care. In essence, keeping the mind demons out. So, best to look at how it is run with an eye for the environment and try to find the most green of bad options. 
In that context, I think probably the most sustainable way to distribute games is not streaming, and sadly, it's not physical media either. It's downloads. See, downloads are this great thing where you essentially stream a game once and have it forever. Wow! wow. It doesn't require toxic manufacturing and carbon-intensive transportation, but neither does it require literally limitless burning of carbon. I mean, yes, your console does need power, but when your game's on your SD card or hard drive, it's just there. No need to add even more extra carbon spewing halfway around the Earth. Of the least importance to me philosophically is whether or not anyone can ever even use Stadia given Earth's poor broadband access, but I can at least take solace in the knowledge that this is almost impossibly doomed to failure. In the era of data caps, throttling, and the end of net neutrality, it is insane that any company thinks they can really pull this off as some kind of mass appeal thing. So, my immediate concern is not about Google Stadia being a huge carbon-pumping success so much as it being a big step toward normalizing a shift in our understanding of reality. I'm pretty high, though. Speaking of pretty high, though, Apple has introduced their own catch-up service, Apple Arcade, but frankly, outside of being evil, I don't give a damn about Apple. My question, a valid one for Stadia as well, if less so, is what games? Mobile games? Certainly, indie devs can make excellent mobile games. But I can't see this being as threatening as Google's play for gaming subscription service dominance. And though Apple is rapidly losing relevance, recently unseated by Huawei as the number two smartphone manufacturer, the other reason I have less of a negative opinion of this service is the games aren't owned, but at least they're, as far as I can tell, downloaded. Wow! Innovation! But uh, as if not to be outdone by their Silicon Valley counterparts, in the morass of PC gaming, an epic capitalist battle has emerged. Wielding their considerable capital as the almighty power it is, the Epic Store has snagged a few high-profile exclusives such as The Outer World and Borderlands 3 in their bid to utterly destroy Steam. In conversations I've had with PC gaming enthusiasts, I at first took the capitalist, realist position of stating Steam needs major competition because it sucks, but the glorious invisible hand, peace be unto him, slapped that stupidity right out of my soul. Because, of course, it's not about competition. No major corporation wants to compete, and Epic, as the Chinese juggernaut with all the money, does not want to compete with Steam, it wants to utterly destroy it so that it can gain market share. This is one of the most blatant examples of pure capitalism in the 21st century happening in real time. A war between the platforms, only PC gamers are the casualties. Solidarity. But after all that, all that insane dystopia, perhaps the most evil going on in cyber gaming comes from your close, personal, live-on-the-couch-without-rent friend, Activision Blizzard. Yes, the Lords of Chaos have a brand new program for whoever they haven't fired yet. In it, you will receive small incentives to track all your vital health functions and share that data with your kind, loving, staring directly into your eyes while you pee, boss, Activision Blizzard. This practice is hardly a new thing in the halls of corporate power, but it is just nice to get the confirmation that Activision Blizzard remains supreme in the industry for that personal touch with employee engagement. Bravo! But enough with the negative. So many new Switch game announcements happened on top of that amazing March 20th Nindy Direct, so let's transition into stay insane mode, starting with... 
Hashtag Fuck Konami has finally done something right in its pitiful, sad elderly years by announcing a slew of anniversary collections, including an arcade collection with the likes of Nemesis, Salamander, Twinbee, and other mostly noteworthy shooters, and of greater interest, a Castlevania collection, which will include Castlevania, Castlevania 2, Belmont's Revenge, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse, and Super Castlevania 4. On top of that, they are releasing a Contra collection, which will include Contra, Super Contra, Super C, and Contra 3 The Alien Wars. The arcade collection will launch on the Switch as well as all other platforms April 20th for $20. There is still no word as to when the Castlevania and Contra collections will be released, but I am looking forward to those. Shovel Knight developer Yacht Club Games has announced a new 8-bit style ninja-themed title called Cyber Shadow. Quoting from a summary in Eurogamer, Cyber Shadow sets players loose among the ruins of an enemy-infested, trap-laden Mecha City, and is described as a NES-style platformer with the level design principles of Mario, the skills and action of Ninja Gaiden, the enemy designs of Contra, and the dark visual aesthetic of Batman. Based on its trailer and that description, it looks like a lot of fun, and I can't wait for more ninja goodness after the Devolver Digital published Sabotage Studios developed 2018 title The Messenger made me a true believer in that genre. There is no release date yet for Cyber Shadow, but Yacht Club Games has confirmed the very friendly price of $14.99 for the title when it eventually does release. I'm looking forward to that. And while we're talking about ninjas, don't forget about the Messenger's free DLC, Picnic Panic, coming out later this year. There were even more announcements, uh, far more than I can cover, and there were so many wonderful games released on the eShop, like Darksiders, Hellblade... Stuff like that, but let's just skip all that for now and just get right into this Nindy Direct that happened. Getting straight to the games, the presentation started with, for some people, the absolute shock of Cuphead. Like, what the fuck is going on with Microsoft and Nintendo? Sony demands a federal investigation. Anyway, I have played Cuphead, briefly, and I really look forward to it kicking my ass on the Switch. I only played it a little bit, had loads of fun with it, would love to try and, you know, go all for it. You know, I'm, I'm not big on really hard games, but uh, Cuphead is just so pleasing to the eye and the ear that uh, I have to get it. Anyway, interesting point too, I didn't write this down, but uh, it is like the top, like the third best-selling game in the eShop right now, and it hasn't even released yet. So, it's uh, going to do amazingly. Next was an isometric turn-based strategy game called Overland, which seemed to combine XCOM with a post-apocalyptic Oregon Trail. Not my cup of tea, but it did seem to strike most games media that so many games were in the post-apocalyptic genre. I mention this because I can't understand why. It's literally the apocalypse. And moving swiftly on, Dead Toast's Deadpool-esque ballet bullet-time shooter, My Friend Pedro, a little game about a man with a very specific set of skills and his talking banana friend. You all know my position on Devolver Digital published games. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> I was so high when I wrote this. After that was The Taxi Driver among Robot's visual novel, Neo Cab. A lot of people really expressed their disinterest in this title. But I gotta say, a story about the last human rideshare driver and her fight against the megacorp Capra as she searches for her lost friend sounds like any average American's last Tuesday. I'd actually be very interested to see how they deal with those tropes in the story. It could be horrible, but it has pertinent issues that are worth exploring in the game's verse. 
The Red Lantern is developer Timberland's debut release about a woman who feels hopeless, challenging herself to go to Alaska, get dogs, and finish the Iditarod to accomplish something no one can take away from her. It appears to be a pretty adventure game set in the North. I like it. Depending on how much it costs, I'd be tempted to pick it up just out of curiosity. By the way, if somehow you have not seen the trailer by now, uh, content warning, uh, dog bear violence. Darkwood is a top-down survival horror game that looks okay. I just don't care. It looks sufficiently grimy, and they claim it's horror without jump scares, which is always welcome, but I don't like that perspective. I really never have. Best I could hope for out of this little title is a really nice dark atmosphere. But look, if it's your thing, I totally respect that. It's probably a fine game. A far more interest to me, Katana Zero is another awesome-looking Devolver Digital published game, this time developed by ASCIISoft. Damn, that's fun to say. ASCIISoft. Fuck. It appears to be a 2D ninja assassination game in which you must clear rooms of enemies. However, their hits are as deadly as yours. Both sides have one-hit kills. So your challenge is to use your abilities to hit bullets back at enemies with your katana and slow down time to clear rooms without taking a hit. Thankfully, you can retry a level as many times as you need. Hilariously, in between levels, you can talk to your therapist about your assassination ways. This looks like an excellent title, and all the reviews, the early reviews I've been seeing, have been really excited about it, so I am very, very excited. Soft. Rad, another post-apocalyptic game from the much-loved developer Double Fine, takes a decidedly more whimsical tone at the end of the world. In it, you must move across the barren land, bringing instantaneous growth of plants and renewal. Along the way, you'll have to battle mutants, and since it is a nuclear wasteland, you too will mutate, gaining new abilities from your mutations. Some of which are pleasingly disgusting. I'm very, very interested in this game. I love the synth soundtrack and the bright neon visuals. It looks pretty goddamn rad. Creature in the Well is like a action game mixed with pinball. I love pinball, and I like what this game is trying to do, but all the gameplay I've seen so far doesn't interest me at all. It might be the art style, it's just minimalistic in a way I don't like. Yoku's Island Express will always be the pinball hybrid game standard. Still, maybe it's better than I think. Release a demo. In fact, every dev, release a goddamn demo. Please! Bloodroots is a weird, quote, combo-oriented spree killer in which you use the surrounding, like, Old West landscape as weapons while you try to kill as many people in a settlement as you can as fast as possible. Nearly everything, from the ladders to barrels, can be used as weapons. With this pleasing Samurai Jack-esque visuals and fast, fluid gameplay, I'm intrigued. I'm not sure about my reflexes, though. Pine is an open-world adventure game set in an anthropomorphic, animal-ruled world, very reminiscent of Breath of the Wild, only with much, much worse graphics. I give credit to developer Vlambeer for thinking big and having ambition, but considering this is coming out in August, I wonder if that kind of bland look is going to be in the finished game. I just don't care for it. Still, the gameplay looks solid enough, and I'm not one to rag on graphics, so we'll see. Maybe it's worth a buy. Moving on, we got the announcement of three games from the same developer of Pine, Vlambeer. Super Crate Box, an arcade single-screen-like brawler. Nuclear Throne, a slightly more interesting-looking post-apocalyptic roguelike. Oh god, roguelikes. And perhaps most interesting, Vlambeer Arcade, which will be like a service which adds more basic but pretty-to-look-at arcade games over time. The first one to be released is a twin-stick shooter called Ultra Bug. 
I'd very much like to know how the monetization of Blam Beer Arcade works. Is it a separate thing you pay for by the month? Do you buy once to get access and then they try to sell you microtransactions to pay for the eventual release of more games? Regardless, it is interesting. I'm not enamored by the uh, graphical style, but at least they're doing interesting things. After that, we had Swim Sanity, which is a multiplayer-focused shooter set under the sea with really cheap-looking graphics. Now look, I'm a Switch game player. I honestly don't give a damn about graphics if the gameplay is good, but when you start getting whole games no doubt lovingly developed by people, you hope they could up their game a little. It looks like a bad mobile game, and believe me, mobile games, for all their faults, can look amazing. So I'm I'm being pretty negative, and uh, I'm sorry about that. I like underwater shooters. It might be worth picking up for the right price. Blaster Master Zero Two Shadow Drop with a big friendly number nine ninety nine. Now, I must admit, I didn't buy Blaster Master Zero, but I did play the extensive demo, and I encourage all of you to do the same. It's a beloved, I think, launch title on the Switch that just happened to get lost in my game-buying addiction. The demo was great, platforming sci-fi fun, and I love seeing NT Creates release games that are so meticulously developed. I actually want both of them, and at such a low price, I've really got no reason not to buy them as soon as I can. Stranger Things 3 is a brawling 16-bit adventure game that tells and supposedly expands on the upcoming narrative of Season 3. Published by Netflix themselves, it's set to release July 4th, the same day as Season 3 will release on Netflix. This might not seem that interesting to some, but I enjoy a movie or TV tie-in game releasing in 2019. It reminds me of the 90s glory days of tie-in games. More than that though, having played their excellent free mobile Stranger Things game, I expect a very satisfying experience. Finally, we come to the end of the Nindy Direct with the bombshell announcement of Cadence of Hyrule, Crypt of the Necrodancer, featuring The Legend of Zelda. Yes, that is the official title. <laughs> this adventure game takes the rhythm element of the Necrodancer and infuses it with amazing Legend of Zelda flavor. Quoting from the Nintendo website directly, Cadence of Hyrule is a rhythmic action-adventure game in the world of the Legend of Zelda series. Explore the randomly generated overworld and dungeons to save Hyrule as Link or Princess Zelda. Use items from the Legend of Zelda series plus spells and weapons from the Crypt of the Necrodancer game. Outstep legendary enemies and bosses in rhythmic combat. Keep the beat with 25 remixed classic Legend of Zelda tunes. This game looks nuts. I can't say I've ever been a real big fan of... Rhythm games, because I'm not very good at them, but this has enough Zelda in it to convert me. The 2D Zelda sprites are gorgeous, the music's awesome, and to have two Zelda games coming out in the same year is just wonderful. Furthermore, kudos goes to Nintendo for letting indie devs Spike Chunsoft and Brace Yourselves with only one game under their belt make this game. It's a massive show of confidence and opens up exciting new possibilities for Nintendo's IP. Let Team Cherry make a 2D Metroid game, Nintendo. Do it! Do it now! Anyway, an awesome Nindie Direct all around full of interesting games and a few massive surprises. I'm very happy with where Nintendo is with indie publishers now, and I hope their relationship only grows stronger. Indies are the third-party support Nintendo has always needed. But all that out of the way, now it's finally time for what I've been playing lately. Trials Rising is a kind of a platforming motorcycle 
hybrid game, well-loved series by Ubisoft. It's interesting. It started out as a Flash series. You could just play on your uh, computer and browser. And um, it's a wonderful game. I had never played an official Trials game. And by the way, I'm just going off the cuff with these remarks. Because I need to get this episode out because it's been a while. Oh my god. It's really good. Really, really good. Um, In it, you... As you're on a motorcycle, it's like a, uh, you know, motocross kind of motorcycle. And you're going through these... 2D and a 3D environment kind of stages in which you have to do uh, weird jumps, and it's all about besting opponents, not in a, necessarily an actual race, they'll be like ghosts of opponents, or simply getting through a particularly hard course, and these courses are insane, you'll have courses where like in Hollywood where you go through like a movie set, and they'll be just like green screen, and it'll just pop into having like these giant monsters, and you're like on an alien landscape just going through this, and then you're jumping over things, and uh, it's just, it's it's crazy. Or then there's another, uh, these are early levels, by the way. I'm not going to spoil too much here. Uh, there's another one where you're going through like the Grand Canyon and then the, the jumps are so high and you can just see in the distance and it's just beautiful. It's kind of limitless, this game, because even though there's a hundred levels in the regular um, package, I only got the regular game for like $24.99. It's actually cheaper on the Switch than other consoles, and I'll tell you why in a minute. It also has kind of a limitless supply of user-made levels, and I have heard that the level editor for Trials Rising is one of the most robust ever made. And I've seen it uh, being used in like YouTube, and it looks like it. You can pretty much do anything. For example, there is an Oregon Trail level I have played from the... Uh, and by the way, you have to make a Ubisoft account in order to get access to these levels. And uh, multiplayer, I don't give a fuck about multiplayer there, or their season pass, don't give a fuck about that. Um, anyway, there's this Oregon Trail one, and uh, you go through it with your motorcycle, you're doing weird flips and stuff, and you're trying to stay, you know... Um, on your bike, because that's a big deal with uh, Trials Rising. It's so easy to get off your bike and then just fuck everything up. And you'll be going, you'll be jumping over these cows, and one of the cows, and I know this is very crass, but just give me a minute here, okay? I'm trying to explain something. One of these cows will be farting into another cow's face. Now, how how is that possible? Well, apparently, the <laughs> the level editor is so robust, you can do almost anything, and I've seen almost anything. I have seen a level, and I would be surprised if it wasn't taken down by now, where it is that 2D, and like a 3D, like, side view level, but it's still a almost perfect representation of the Star Wars pod racing game, right down to the pod racer, which they have somehow recreated, so you're not actually on a motorcycle, you are driving a pod racer through this course. Just weird, crazy stuff like that. And then there'll be levels that are impossibly hard, where like you're almost going straight up the whole time, and there's a way to do it, but it's fucking insane. There's all kinds of wonderful stuff like that in this game. Ubisoft obviously made this, and so... As I was saying earlier, there are some caveats. Obviously, you can get the season pass for multiplayer. Very much a AAA kind of thing, and I don't give a fuck about that. And again, I said it was uh, cheaper than the other versions earlier, and that is for a very specific reason that kind of hampers this game a bit. There is no analog control on the triggers for, as far as I know, any Switch controller. You can, interestingly, use a GameCube adapter and then play it with a GameCube controller, and the GameCube does have analog triggers, which is useful, because the thing is, with this game, in order to control it, because you're you're so tipsy, you know, with, on your motorcycle, you have to have good control of your acceleration speed, and uh, you can't really do that without analog sticks. So what they've done with this version of Trials Rising is they've mapped that analog um, acceleration onto your uh, your right stick, and I don't really like it. It's hard for me to control, 
it's hard for me to get used to. It would be so much easier on the analog sticks. And so that kind of hampers my ability to play some of the harder levels, definitely. And it makes, obviously, some of the really hard levels in the user-made content impossible. So, uh, but again, it's only $24.99 for the base model, you know. And I haven't really looked into the DLC much, but if the DLC adds a whole bunch of uh, new levels that are not terrible, like if they're somewhat easy, I'd be tempted to pick it up. I really, really like Trials Rising. I'm rambling now, so let's move on to the other Ubisoft giant I was playing recently, Rayman Legends. Now, Rayman Legends is obviously one of the... Uh, it's an older game at this point, but one of the renowned titles in the Rayman series, a long-running platformer series by Ubisoft. And I do give credit to Ubisoft for doing games like Trials Rising and Rayman Legends, kind of in genres that the other AAA publishers will not touch, and um, maintaining them and giving them extra content after they've been published. It is one good aspect of Ubisoft. Ubisoft is kind of somewhere in the middle. They do a lot of horrible shit, but then they do some of these nicer things, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't know how to, how to take it. But anyway, Rayman Legends is a great game. Um, if you ever played a Rayman game, you know what it's like. It's just really intuitive, interesting platforming. Not really similar to Mario, in my opinion, but like its own kind of thing, its own kind of style. You will find hidden things. You will collect like these, uh, I don't even know what they are, uh, fucking glowy things like coins. And there's a lot of fluidity to the gameplay, a lot of running and jumping that's really nice, really creative levels. There'll be levels where you have to fly through levels because uh, Raymond can kind of hover. Platforms uh, move or there'll be secrets hidden in um, hard to reach places, that sort of thing. I really can't describe its art style too well. It's really unique and good. I really like it. The thing about Raymond Legends is it's a huge game. And in fact, it's almost too huge because... The only thing I really don't like about Rayman Legends is not the game itself. The game itself is amazing. I got it on sale, and I think even at the base price of, I think it's $30, it's totally worth it if you like a really big, juicy platformer. I fucking love this game, but um, the only thing I don't like about it too much is just kind of the menus are a little bit strange, so you have to walk through menus um, to find things, and there'll be like rooms that you have to walk through. And there'll be in the menus, you'll see like, oh, you've earned something, so press it and go to it, and then you can earn it. Or you'll get, like, literally lottery tickets that you have to scratch off with the two thumbsticks. And these little extra things, they add a little bit extra to the game, but I, I don't like them. And as I was trying to say, and I keep getting lost in my own thoughts here, the menu system where you have to walk through rooms and select things, like select levels or select, like, um, there are a bunch of different kind of mini games or there are daily challenges you can do. It's just kind of cluttered to me, and it, it kind of reeks of... I don't want to say mobile design because it's nowhere near that, but like AAA company that's over complicating something for the sake of making it look neat. And it does look neat, but I, I'm just not a big fan of that particular part of the game. But aside from the menus being a bit confusing, uh, the game's fucking amazing. It's hard for me to get into specifics about this game, except to say that it's really, really good. And if you like platformers, you'll love Rayman Legends. That's all I'm going to say about it at this point, honestly. Blossom Tales. Now, Blossom Tales is one of the early indie success stories on the Switch that I had never picked up for whatever reason. It was on sale recently, so I got into it, and I am currently on the last dungeon. It is a Link to the Past style action RPG, very, very much in the Legend of Zelda kind of 
genre. Uh, there's a clone, essentially. Um, but it's it's framed interesting. For example, um, it starts out where you're uh, there's two kids listening to their grandpa tell them a story. And that story, it starts out with this fun little joke about how, oh, have I ever told you about the story of the little elf man who became the legend of... And they're like, ah, we've heard that too many times. All right, fine, fine. I will tell you a story about a little girl in a similar kind of situation, you know? And playing through it, it's really, really good. It feels easier than uh, a Zelda title. It's certainly, I believe, shorter, though I haven't exactly finished it. But there are several secrets to be discovered and some interesting kind of... Like, they, they have their own kind of puzzles. They're reminiscent of Zelda, but they have their own little unique spin on it. One little thing I like, just a little thing to point out, is um, you can get a shovel, and with that, you can find spots on the ground in this in a forest area or there's an even like an interesting kind of ghost area with a bunch of graves and stuff and you can find like coins under the ground stuff like that i like the power-ups the power-ups are interesting obviously you have a sword you can throw a boomerang though you can throw uh bombs bombs are unlimited i like that a lot <laughs> let me tell you definitely makes it a lot easier than zelda there are interesting unique areas there's the castle area which you start out in there's a wooded area there is a graveyard with fucking ghosts there's a fire dungeon with fire demons there's a whole ice area on a mountain which is really interesting it's a really good game as i said earlier it was one of the earlier success stories for the switch and it's interesting because it saved the developer. The developer was Castle Pixel, um, and this game was published by FDG Entertainment, which made, like, Oceanhorn and other things that are also on the Switch. And that's a very good game, by the way. Another Zelda clone. <laughs> Different kind of Zelda clone, though. That's definitely a Wind Waker clone. And uh, it sold on the Switch 20 times more than on Steam. And it saved Castle Pixel from going bankrupt. I'm so glad that I finally got to play it. It's a wonderful Zelda game. I think you will love it. It's not as hard, so it's much more accessible to other people. The whole framing device of the grandpa telling his grandchildren about this story is great. It uh, makes for some fun, like, reality-breaking puzzles that kind of intersect with the narration. And some funny jokes now and then. Certainly some interesting references to other games, not just Zelda, but others. Blatant references, by the way. So, um, I really, really like it, and uh, you should definitely pick it up if you haven't already. There are so many games in the eShop that I know I want that have been around forever, but it's like I'm playing this already. Like, uh, right now I'm playing Omega Strike, which is a really fucking good, cheap Metroidvania, but I could have been playing, you know, like something even more wonderful, like Night in the Woods or whatever, but it's just kind of my whims, you know? So I, I finally got to Blossom Tales, and I fucking love it. Now, again, there are other games I played, and I could talk a little bit about them. Mainly Omega Strike. Really, just buy that fucking game. It's fucking excellent. I'm even still playing Daggerhood a little bit here and there, just to try and beat it. Anyway, there are other games I could talk about, but those are the three main ones I really wanted to talk about. Uh, I mean, all three of them are excellent, and especially because two of them are Ubisoft games, that's kind of amazing to me. I would pick up all these games, wait for a sale if you want, but they're amazing. Anyway, we'll be right back after this. <laughs> Called the witch doctor, he told me what to do. He said, Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, tang, tang, wada, wada, bing, bang. That means play Dr. Mario on Game Boy or NES. Tang, tang, wada, wada, bing, bang. I beat the witch doctor, and this is what he said. He said, Ooh, ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, tang, tang, wada, wada, bing, bang. Ooh, ee, ah, ah. And then he struck my head. Well, that's the show, Sea Monkeys. I did have another segment I was going to write again. I've said this the last time as well about smartphone games. 
And uh, I've decided to release that as a mini-sode to kind of keep the content going a little bit faster because I know I've been late on these episodes lately and it's kind of getting to be a problem. So look forward to that as a mini-sode and who knows, maybe there's another fucking direct because everyone's fucking, you know, just open gaping maws just biting at Nintendo for another uh, direct. So maybe there'll be another one. Maybe I'll cover that too. But um, that's basically the show. I'm so glad you listened. Before you go, if you like my mumbling nonsense, please consider supporting it at patreon.com forward slash leftendo with a donation of 350 Speaking of, I'd like to give a massive shout out and thank you once again to Issa and Raya for being my steadfast patrons. But anyway, if you're new to Leftendo and would like to subscribe, just search Leftendo and Apple Podcasts and hey, while you're there, leave a review, but be gentle or else lube me up first. You can also head on over to www.leftendo.com, which will have all the buttons ready for one-click subbing. You can find me at Anoka Murphy and the show at Leftendo for more insane hedonistic content. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, Sea Monkeys. I'll try to get out another one sooner. Bowsette forever. Adios. Adios.